rich church um, with the worship and with the diversity. This is a frontline church, I believe, uh, in terms of just, you know, being the younger brother and seeing my brother uh, um, be involved in this from the, from the beginning, 1979, 1980, and, and uh, visiting some of you all occasionally here and there. And um, In fact, I was actually an intern. I was an in, any interns out there? I was an intern here at Faith in 19, summer of 1993, and my office was right there. Um, it was a great time just working with the youth and, and being a part of, of this fellowship. Um, and so thank you uh, for having me. And um, This morning we're going to talk about this idea of singleness. We're not just going to stay there. We're going to look at Psalm 27. Um, but I want to just first off say that, you know, I am not an expert in singleness. Um, I am on this journey with the rest of the single folk that are here, just as if, if you are married, um, you know, if you got up and said, let me tell you about marriage. We're not, we're not experts. I'm coming to you as a, a traveler on the journey with you, broken, uh, full of sin, and seeking the Lord. And so uh, I hope that um, you can come along with me. I, I, I felt like maybe what I should talk about is roommates, because I've had about 40 roommates uh, in the past. Anybody relate to that? So uh, let me just pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, this church, for this worship, for directing our hearts, Lord, with song, with scripture, Lord, with confession, with focusing us again on the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. Lord, would you touch us now as well through your word, by your spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the U.S. culture has changed. We're becoming more and more a nation of adult singles. Here's some stats. Uh, some of these are from a few years ago. Uh, but in 2000, the census reported uh, 86 million single adults in America. That, that was 15 years ago. I would say that that number has probably increased. So we're talking somewhere probably around 25 to 30 percent. In 1970, 36% of American adults were unmarried. In 2005, that figure is now over 44%. Um, just in my neighborhood, thinking about where I live down near uh, the University of Maryland, next door to me is a single uh, widow. Um, the, the other side of me is a, a, a man who's divorced. Um, two doors down from him is a woman who's never been married. She's in her mid-80s, a wonderful woman. Um, two doors up from me is a single gal who's a lawyer at the University of Maryland. So even as you think about your neighborhood and the people around you and the people here at church, there are many single adults here, many who have never been married or those who have been married and they're divorced. There are single moms. There are single dads. There, there is a lot of single people. But oftentimes, um, in our culture and in our, in our church cultures, singles are not often looked at highly. You can feel maybe like a fifth wheel. Um, maybe like you're still on the bench and you haven't made it into the starting lineup yet. And I'm a minister, and I, occasionally I'll look at, uh, you know, the ministry opening boards and like what churches are looking for and that sort of thing. And, 
it's, it's uh, typically probably 99% of those are we're looking for a married person to be our pastor. Um, even in the evangelical wider world, it can seem like it's always a focus on the family. Um, I remember talking to a woman in the church where I was a youth minister with our other brother, Chuck, in Oklahoma. I was a youth minister out there with him, and there was a woman at our church who had just gone through a divorce. Her daughter was heavily involved in our youth ministry, and I can remember just her despair about being in the church service at 11 o'clock and just feeling totally alone because all she could see and think about was her divorce and the fact that she was now single and she looked around at a congregation of mainly families and marriages. Lana Trent is a co-author of this book called Single and Content and she has insisted this, that the church doesn't realize how many people avoid services because they are too focused on families and alienate singles. Cameron Courtney says this, Sunday mornings are the loneliest part of my week. If you want a good book on singleness, Lauren Winner, you can chalk that up, wrote, wrote a book on chastity. I highly recommend it and for what she says about Christians and singleness. Um, but she said, <laughs> singles can be made to feel like they're not quite adults because they've not entered in to the institution of marriage. She says, <laughs> raise your hand if you were ever stuck at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Anybody? I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I remember uh, a good friend, a uh, friend's mother, who's a dear, dear lady. This is, this is going back a few years. And uh, she had a very wonderful, nice daughter. And she thought I was crazy for not asking her daughter out. Um, maybe you've been there. Uh, I was at a funeral a few years ago, and I, I saw an old high school friend, a gal, um, and probably have not seen her in 20 years. Her first uh, connection with me was, why are you not married? Not, hey, how are you? Good to see you, Chris. Thanks for being here. Why are you not married? What I heard is, I have a problem. Uh, you're weird. You're unusual. What's wrong with you? Can't you get your act together? Uh, there must be something fundamentally wrong with you. And I could have said, yeah, you don't know half the truth, right? <laughs> but the false paradigm is that marriage is crucial and fundamental and foundational for your happiness. And unless you are married, you won't truly fulfill God's plan for your life. You're incomplete. You're kind of like that puzzle piece that's on the floor somewhere. But the gospel and the scriptures tell us something totally different. They tell us that, no, uh, marriage is a calling just like singleness is a calling. These are both glorious callings. There is not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. The Bible makes it clear this is a good and holy calling, a gift. In fact, uh, right before the section we read this morning in Corinthians, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, single, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good. 
for them to remain single as I am. Stanley Hauerwas, this writer, said that Christianity was the first religion that lifted up the single life. I mean, our founder was the Lord Jesus Christ, who was single. The Apostle Paul, we think of his life, all of the amazing missionary journeys and all of the things, 13 letters in the New Testament. This was a single person. We think of, uh, in Romans 16, it talks about Phoebe and the church that met at her house. We have single women that actually followed Jesus around on mission. If you read the Gospels, you will see these women that are there helping him, kind of in the background, but these were single women that were a part of his ministry. Church history has shown many positives of the single life. The Roman Catholic Church has elevated celibacy, and we have uh, the whole monastery movement with monks and nuns, and if it wasn't for them, we probably wouldn't have beer and wine. Okay? Uh, they teach us a devoted reliance on the Lord. The Roman Catholic writer Henry Nouwen says, uh, in singleness, quote, God will be more readily recognized as the source for all human life and activity. The celibate becomes a living sign of the li limits of interpersonal relationships and of the centrality of the inner sanctum, that relationship with God that no human being may violate. Violate. In other words, the single life can be a, married, can be a witness to the married folk of this dependence upon the Lord. Now, I want to caution this as well, because in some periods of church history, the church has elevated one over the other. The monks and the desert fathers, okay? They thought that it was actually more spiritual to be alone and serve God and not be married. And we can't make that mistake either, because Paul said it is a calling and both things are good. Both ways are ways to glorify the Lord. Um, so it's not more spiritual to be a bachelor till the rapture, okay, than it is to get married and have 12 kids. They're both gifts and callings that the Lord says. And so as the church, as people in the church, married or unmarried, we need to um, understand that there's millions of singles around us. And that is their station that the Lord has called them to, and that is a good, holy, and right station. God may call you the next day into a relationship where you will be married. And that is a good and righteous and holy calling as well. He loves you the same, married or unmarried. The gospel is good for you, married or unmarried. And so today I don't want to have a pity party for us poor singles, okay? <laughs> Instead, I want to address, I want to look at Psalm 27 and Think about maybe some of the fears and the anxieties and the issues that single people have and married people have and bring us to the Lord uh, in this wonderful psalm that David gives us. So if you have your Bibles, um, let's read Psalm 27 and hear the word of the Lord. I guess it might be up there too. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I desired, I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This ends reading of God's holy word. What are some of the fears that single folk have? Fear of being alone. Fear of dying alone. Fear of suffering maybe some chronic illness, terminal, terminal illness, or a disability and being alone in that with no one beside you to help you. Fear of never <laughs> making it out of the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Fear of never getting out of the, of the basement. Fear of rejection when you've pursued a relationship and it has not worked out or there's been uh, a breakup. Fear of going out on a date and then getting no communication afterwards, just crickets. Fear that God is dissatisfied in you because you've not made it, not entered into that marriage. Fear of never having sex or the struggle for sexual purity in it and celibacy in a culture that every other commercial is either Cialis or Viagra, right? You can't turn the TV on now without that. Fear that your sex sexual brokenness pre prevents you from being married. Maybe unhealthy fears of marriage commitment. Fear of not being worthy being loved. Fears of crazy roommates or roommates that drive you crazy. So what do we do with all these fears? And there's many more. Maybe if you're a single parent, fears of your kids. and How, how do you do this alone? How do you raise a family alone? So many fears. And so this psalm helps us because David knew what it was like to fear. I mean, his whole life is basically uh, on the run, uh, in the midst of conflict from armies, uh, even from his own family. And so he offers us, he gives us uh, a psalm here 
which is a robust worship. He takes his fear to the Lord, and we see in it three C's. I'm going to go with the C's again, okay? A confession, a commitment, and a cry, okay, is what we have here. The first thing is he gives us, this is what we need as singles. This is what we need as married people, a robust worship. And he says, a bold confession is the first thing here. Look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then at the end in verse 13, I can hear David in his mind saying, David, what do you believe? And David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David is making a confession. He has seen the Lord work in his life countless times. Goliath, right? Slaying Goliath as a young boy. It's a teenager with a sling. Okay, he has seen the Lord deliver him from the bear and the lion. He has seen God raise him from being a shepherd boy to be now the king of Israel. Through all the trials and all the pain and all the suffering and all the anxiety and all the fears, And he has seen God move in his life again and again and again. he's saying, I know this, Lord. (laughs) This is the Lord of my light. And so this is David. He is is preaching this to his own heart. And this is what we do in a confession of faith. We say to our hearts, okay, all of this stuff over here is happening. All of this anxiety, all of this fear, all of this discontent in my life situation. But... The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And it's interesting, he says, the Lord is my light. Because we think of David, you know, on the run. Sometimes he's even in a cave, hiding from Saul and his army, remember? Okay, maybe he's as a shepherd boy at night. Okay, he's out there and there's bear, because he killed bears and lions. Okay, this is the wild west of Israel. Okay. And the Lord is the one who delivered him. The Lord is my light in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst midst of the fear, in the midst of thinking that no one, I I don't know what to do with my life in, in this loneliness that I have, this darkness, this cave. And he's saying, no, but actually the Lord is my light. He is Jesus, and this is a pointer to Jesus, the light of the world, the one who's come to shed on our lives. And he says, Lord, in this passage 13 times and this is the capital L-O-R-D this is Yahweh this is the covenant Lord so what is he thinking why is he saying that instead of just Elohim God well he's saying that this is the covenantal God this is my God this is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob this is God that has worked this is the God that's brought Moses and Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea through the wilderness by a light and a cloud This is the God who's been with me. This is my Lord, like we talked about earlier in the service. This is not just some vague notion of God. This is the covenantal God, the one who promises love and steadfast love to us and to his children and who is going to be there. And so what are you doing with your fear? What are you doing with the fears of singleness or the fears of marriage? Are you taking this and saying, I have all this, but yet the Lord is my light and my salvation. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to run to that. That's why worship 
is so important for us because it reorients us. It centers us. It says, okay, all this stuff's happening in my life, but I bring it in here, and I remember this is the reality, that God is on his throne, and he's given me light and salvation. So singles, we need worship. We need a robust, crunchy worship. Secondly, we need a commitment, a kingdom commitment. And so you see in this psalm, David has a single focus, a sole focus, and that is for the worship of the Lord and seeing the beauty of the Lord in his temple. He says, verse 4, One thing have I asked, one thing, one thing, Lord, have I asked that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is what he is asking. Lord, I want to see you in your temple. Now, the interesting thing is, at this point, there wasn't a temple, right? Solomon built the temple of the Lord. David was not, the Lord told him, I am not going to build my temple with you because you are a man of war and your hands have blood on them. But what is he seeing? What is he, well, he's seeing the tabernacle. And we know the Ark of the Covenant is there, the Holy of Holies, and they were doing the sacrifice. And so David is seeing the beauty of the Lord in the grace of the gospel. He's seeing that his sins have been forgiven. And we know about David and his brokenness, don't we? We know about his sin, his sexual struggle after marriage with temptation and giving into that with Bathsheba. And then taking Uriah out of the picture and having him killed on the front line. And then the cover-up. This is a man who knew his sin. And so he says, my desire, my one desire is to see the beauty of the Lord. See the beauty of the Lord. And so he's seeing sacrifice. He's seeing the fact that, yes, I am a sinner, but yet I have come to know that my sins have been forgiven. My sin has been taken away by that sacrifice. This is the gospel of grace as David understood it. He was looking ahead at that ultimate sacrifice that the Lord Jesus would give us. And so he's interested in the presence of the Lord, being reminded of the Lord's love for him. And again, this is crucial for us, all of us, for singles, for married, for everywhere in between, that we need to see the grace of Jesus. We need to be brought into his temple again and again and again to see that, no, God does love me. God does forgive me. There is nothing wrong with me. I am righteous and holy in Jesus. It's not that he's just forgiven my sins. He's given me all of his righteousness to my account. When God looks at you, he looks at Jesus and sees all of the beauty of what Jesus has done. That is the gospel. That's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing for our self-image. When the culture is saying this, no, you don't quite make it. No, we go back and we say, I am loved. I am a child. I am a son. I am a daughter. And so this is why we worship. This is why David has this commitment to worship. But it's not just that. It's a commitment as well to service. Because what is David doing here? He is serving the Lord. He says, um, uh, losing my spot here. He says, uh, 
Verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up, and then going down, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Okay, so he's understood, he's seen the beauty of the Lord, he's seen the forgiveness of his sins, and now he wants to do, I will offer sacrifices. Now, one of the things we know that David did in his sacrifices, he wrote a lot of worship psalms for the church. Okay, we've been singing songs all morning, right? Israel Houghton and Chris Tomlin and, and, other, and other hymns, right? These are serving the church. Well, David, David started it with about half of these psalms being his songs, pouring out his heart, his journals of prayer and praise and worship for us. He wrote these down. We have these. This is amazing. He's serving the church by, by sharing forth the faith to us that we are still talking about 3,000 years later. It's amazing, isn't it? He is serving. And so uh, what do we do? Well, we, we serve as well. When we get the gospel, when we know that Jesus loves us, whatever our condition, it changes us. It pushes us out. We are his people <laughs> called by his name to do good works before the foundation of the world. And he's caught up in this gospel of grace. And uh, some of you have seen the movie Cast Away, one of my favorite movies. It's about a pretty much a single guy alone on an island, right? He's a FedEx worker. His plane goes down. He's stranded on this island, right? And, you know, he's, he's trying to figure out how to survive. He's making fire and and uh, he's trying to build a little watercraft, a boat to get off. But one of the amazing things in that movie is uh, how alone he was. And so he finds, you know, the old Wilson, the volleyball, and he begins a relationship with Wilson. But that, that didn't quite work too well. But there's also another image. Often you'll see, I forgot his name in the movie, but Tom Hanks will look at a locket of his, I think it was his fiance. okay? He's in the cave, he's got a toothache or whatever, and he's, he will gaze at that locket. And that becomes the force to make him go, the force to drive him to get out off that island and to get back. Now, kind of turning this around is that we have in the gospel of Jesus, what is Jesus looking at in his locket? He's looking at you. He's looking at me. He's looking at his people. Because Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he left heaven. And the joy was you and I, the redemption of his people. He loved us so much that he died on the cross for us. He came. He left the island of heaven and comes down to be with us, to have relationship with us. This is the gospel of grace. And so that's what we have in Jesus. And what that does is, is it, it inflames our hearts so that we serve him and love him and desire him and desire to bring other people into that kingdom of his love and grace and this new family that we all have. So singles, many of us have time. Many of us have time. We have, and, that, and, that, and Paul is talking about that. Uh, <laughs> Think of how he served the church. The three missionary journeys, right? The letters to the churches, the follow-up. 
And that's why he says, not as a, not as a command, but you can do this for the glory of God. You can set your vision in God's kingdom. You can serve his people. Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus and serve. And so single folk, maybe there's married folks or single moms that need a hand. There's the PLAN, right? The Pen Lucy Action Network. Maybe that's something you could do to serve God's kingdom. Where is it? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your time? I work with college students. They study a lot, but they also do a lot of Xbox and PlayStation. Okay? And they don't schedule their time well at all until the test just to pass it. Okay? And I'm trying to get them. Why don't you come help with ESL with me? Why don't you come on a short-term mission trip? I'm trying to give them those opportunities. They're single. They have time. They think they don't have any time. Okay? It's like, you don't know anything yet. But the Lord has called us into his kingdom to be a part of his kingdom purposes. And David is doing that by his serving of the Lord, offering the sacrifices with shouts of joy and making melody to the Lord. One of the students that I worked with in Oklahoma, um, went to Oklahoma State University, was an aeronautical engineer, sharp, sharp guy. His senior year, we got together, the spring of that senior year, he was like, hey, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I should go into aeronautical engineering, although he could have. And I said, well, why don't you, I was going on a short-term mission trip to China. I said, why don't you come with me and just go on this trip? Well, even before he went on the trip, he had found out about the organization, and he committed to go back and teach for two years. So he goes over with me for 10 days, comes back, loved it, goes back. This is in 2005 or so. He's still there. Okay, he's basically given his life to China. He's now in kind of in central western China. He's teaching English, doing similar things, but also involved with kind of underground ministry, church, and, and in the process, guess what happened? Another gal he meets doing the same kind of kingdom work and felt like the Lord was calling them to be married. Now they're married and they have a small family. In the process of serving the kingdom. And the Lord Jesus says, you know, seek first the kingdom. And then he says, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, does that mean, okay, I'm just going to seek God, but I better get married? No. It's be filled with God. Be filled with God. Find your happiness in God. Find your glory in Him. If the marriage thing happens, great. But if not, great. Last thing, the cry of the soul. So we've got confession, commitment, and a cry. In verse 7, kind of the psalm changes. And uh, we hear David now really getting, uh, getting honest with the Lord, crying out to the Lord. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me, answer me. Verse 9, hide not your face from me, turn not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. But you see what David is doing. He is taking his issues. He's taking his feelings of anxiety, his feelings of fears, feelings of the surrounding armies and the situation, and he's saying, give me not up. He's crying out to God, God, do something, work. 
This is a lament. The Psalms are full of this. This is the beauty of the Psalms. We go in with our raw emotions and we say, help me. This is the situation. And we have a God who hears us and a God who is concerned with us and delivers us. Now, David, uh, we know from his life, he was delivered time and time again. But as I looked at this psalm, I was remembering someone else. I was remembering someone else who cried out to his father. And he was forgotten. The Lord Jesus on the cross, what did he say? O oh Lord, O oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? See, this is the amazing thing again about the gospel. The Lord Jesus comes, and he goes to the cross, and he is forsaken by his father and his mother and his brothers and his sisters so that we would not be forsaken. Remember the Lord Jesus in Mark 4. He was preaching, and uh, somebody comes in and says, Hey, your, your mother and brothers are outside. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was crazy for living this life of the kingdom, right? And what does the Lord Jesus said? My brothers and fathers and sisters and mothers are here. They're the ones who do the will of God. But then, ultimately, at the cross, we have this crying out of the Lord again, and the Father forsook him in order to bring us close to him. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. David, in this psalm, this cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The Lord delivers David again and again. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus, he turns his face so that we all can be delivered, so that we will never be cast out. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has been forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. He has been alone so that we would never be lonely. He's been left out so that we would always be in. He's been never chosen so that we would be chosen and feel part of his family. This is what the gospel has done. This is what the Lord Jesus does for us, for single people, for married people, for divorced people, for widows. For everyone in between, all the strugglers together, he says, you're part of my family. And because of my death, you will never be separated from me. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. This is the beauty of it. Some of you might be familiar with this old hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, but you might not know the story. It was uh, written by a minister, a Scottish minister by the name of George Matheson. And uh, he lived in the 18, from 1842 to 1906. And at age 20, he was engaged to be married to a woman. But he also came down with a eye condition where he was going blind. And it came about that within the engagement, the woman said, I just can't be married to a blind man and broke the engagement. Now, by God's providence, George lived with his sister. As he went blind, he was a minister in the Church of Scotland and literally had an amazing ministry, like 1,500 people a week were at his church. But then the time came for his sister, who took care of him, 
she met a guy and was engaged and was to be married. And the night before the ceremony, uh, the family was away preparing and he was home. And in the midst of that time, he writes this hymn. He was alone and facing the prospect of living the rest of his life without the one person who had come through for him. And on top of this, he was doubtless reflecting on his own aborted wedding some 20 years earlier. It's not hard to imagine this. He was the fresh waves of grief probably washing over his heart that night. But in the darkness of that moment, George Matheson wrote this hymn, and he said he wrote it in five minutes and never edited it. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O love that will not let me go, O cross that lifts up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life, glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall never end. Someone who understood the pain of rejection, the single life, but yet he had such a glorious love for his Savior and felt that glorious love that he produces this. This is the hope we have. We are not alone. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus was forsaken by his father, by his family, so that we would not be forsaken and never alone. Lord, may we not fear. May we take our fears, our anxieties, our issues to you. Lord, would you transform us in your love and your grace. And we pray in Christ's name.